Real Life Radio is sponsored by River City Community Church. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church here in San Antonio, Texas. Now this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and then find it to the full. That's what Jesus said in John 10.10. And in this service-oriented culture, we've come to expect and demand good service. But Jesus offers a different vision of service and one that challenges the core of who we are and what we expect from our faith and relationships. Pastor Sean is teaching from John chapter 13. The message is called Following to Serve. It's time for Real Life Radio. You know, as I'm walking around through the BBS and there, there were, you know, 167 volunteers. And Jamie mentioned grandparents. And one guy in particular, Tim Stoltz, is part of our fellowship. You know, he's been serving the Lord a lot of years. I knew Tim when I was in, you know, just early college, and he was serving the Lord and leading. He's been a pastor, and he, he's in this fellowship. And, you know, he was chasing a group of kids around, you know, chasing a group of kids around through this VBS. And that just fired me up to see you know, a man at this stage of his age and just saying, I'm going to invest in this. And you look at all these volunteers. You, know, you look at all the volunteers. And the question that some might ask, why are they doing this? You know, I mean, what is it really that this is about? Why are they chasing these kids around, coming every night? What about the people who serve every week with children's ministry? What is it that they understand? You know, some people from the outside look and go, don't you have a life? Don't you have anything to do? Really, every night, you got to go every night? What they don't understand is how significant, how important our mission is. See, our mission is real simple. More people living real life by passionately following Jesus. That's what we do here. The Bible says it like this, go and make disciples. We realize that when we get to invest in the life of a child or the life of an adult, we get to see something happen that, that... when you change someone and the Holy Spirit comes into someone's life and they are brought, they're made new, the scripture says, a new creation, that you've just changed a little piece of the world, haven't you? I mean, that's what the world is made up of. It's people. You want to change the world? Invest in people. Change lives with the gospel. Sitting in my study the other day, and many of you guys know I spent, I grew up in a family that played polo, the equestrian sport. I played my whole life. I loved it. And Lori and I were sitting in this study, and she looked. I have a few little kind of memorabilia-type stuff, some my old polo boots, some mallets in the corner. She said, do you, she looked at that, and she said, just seeing that stuff, do you miss that? You ever just miss it? And I told her, I miss the sport a lot. It's very cool. You know, it was a cool world, new very well, a lot of celebrities, a lot of, you know, international CEOs. It's an unusual kind of collection of people. And I loved playing the game. Loved it. You know, it's one of those things where I had access and opportunity and connection to the most powerful people in the world. And whatever I would have wanted to do with my life, whether it be continue to play polo professionally, which was the kind of the plan, or if I would have wanted to go into business, if I wanted to go into entertainment, whatever, you would have had access and connections to the most influential people. But it didn't take me a second to say, I missed the sport. I loved it. It was fast. It was fun. I enjoyed it. I don't have anything else really now in my life that I enjoy kind of like that. But I wouldn't change a thing about the way my life went. When I was 19, I knew the Lord was saying, okay, it's time to leave that behind and now come and follow me in a different way. Because I was already a believer. I got saved when I was eight years old. I believed in Jesus, but I thought I was going to serve him in this world of polo. 
And when he called me to step away, it was hard. It was difficult. It was a challenge. But I have to tell you, looking back, I wouldn't change a thing. To be able to be a part of the gospel, to understand what this is about. You know, I look at those people serving at VBS, I don't for one second think, why would they do this? I look at people serving here all over the place. I look at people leading community groups. I look at people investing their talents in, in worship ministry, in youth ministry. It never crosses my mind to think, well, why would they do that? I know why they would do that, because there is nothing like being part of the Holy Spirit changing someone's life and changing entire family legacies for eternity. See, that's why we do what we do. There's another reason why we serve, because that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about serving. Interesting passage of Scripture in John chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn there? John 13, this idea of serving, kind of taken to the next level by none other than Jesus Christ himself. This is kind of the heart at the root of the servant. It's, it's at the root of service. It's not just that we get to change lives as if that weren't enough, but there's something even deeper. John 13, beginning at verse 1, we read, Now, before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that, the, his, that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, make, make note of these statements, he, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, this is Jesus' final hour. We, if you continue reading in John, you know this is his last night before he is crucified. He's taken into custody. He's questioned. The next evening is Friday. This is Thursday night. Friday, he is crucified. This is his final hour. And what we're hearing, what this whole session, what these few chapters of John are about, his last thoughts, final words to his closest friends and his most passionate followers. That's what this is about. And what is interesting to me is he begins with this shocking illustration of servanthood. As important as the message of the gospel is in telling people the good news, he doesn't kind of begin this time or spend a huge amount of time encouraging a final appeal to reach the lost. He doesn't make one final kind of thing of, guys, you've got to go reach the lost. He doesn't do one last big miracle. This is the power and the glory of God. No, what he does instead is an intimate gesture to his disciples that they would never forget, and one that I want to suggest we should never forget. Now, John goes to great lengths to show us that what Jesus did here had a direct correlation to what Jesus knew. Okay? He tells us he knew some things. He said he knew that his hour had come. In other words, this was why he had come. Jesus came not just to share a good message. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a prophet. He had come to give his life. He was the promised Messiah, and he knew that that hour was upon him now. So he had that thought. These are his, these are his last hours with these guys before his death, burial, and ultimately his resurrection. He knew that he was going to be betrayed, and he knew by whom. John tells us a little later that he actually knew exactly who was going to betray him. Imagine knowing that you are at that point and you know the enemy is in your own camp. One of your closest followers, your confidants, is going to betray you. 
Verse 3, I, I said, take note of this. He knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. Interesting phrase. He'd given all things into his hand. God gave him all that was uniquely his, his assignment, his scope of influence, the victory, and he gave him everything he needed to fulfill his father's purpose. And then I love this phrase in verse 3. It says, his father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and he was going back to God. He knew where he'd come from and where he was going. Boy, if more of us knew those things, could remember where you come from and where you're going. Jesus knew those things, and because of that, he was uniquely empowered, and he was secure. No insecurity here, no doubt. He was secure. God had given him all things he needed. He knew where he'd come from, and he knew where he was going. And so what did he do? He gets up from the table, takes off his cloak, puts on a towel, and he serves his brothers. Now, what I want to say to you is this is shocking humility. This is shocking humility. You know, this is an oddity they're seeing. We've heard the story before of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. In fact, maybe you've been in churches. You know, I grew up in Pentecostal churches. I've told you that. You know, they'd pull out a basin. And I'd be like, oh, oh don't touch my feet. i got a thing. I don't want anybody to touch my feet. You know what I'm saying? We, we think of it in terms of the Christian cultural thing of, oh yeah, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and that's a thing. And some of you in certain types of churches have had to kind of have that, and kind of we're going to reenact that thing, and it's kind of, uh-huh. They hadn't had any of that. They had an entirely different experience when they experienced this than when we read about it. For them, all of a sudden Jesus, who was not just the boss, not just the lead guy, This is the Messiah, the promised one of God. They believed that, they knew that, they had walked away from their livelihoods and everything to to follow him. That's how seriously they believed him. This is the Messiah going and doing the most menial task possible. One of the commentators I read said that that the Jewish household servants wouldn't even do this task. This was the, the Gentile slaves that would usually be relegated this task. This was the lowest task. So picture the most important person you can think of and then go beyond that. And they watch him get up, and they watch him do it. They're horrified. They're absolutely horrified. This is like, this is not funny. This is, they're not having this beautiful moment of worship. They're just like, this is unbelievable. And that's exactly what we see. In verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? I mean, it's like this incredulous thing. Lord, seriously? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing You do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you'll never wash my feet. And understand, Peter's got a good heart here. He means well. It's like, no, Jesus, no, no, you're you're God. You're the king. You're the Messiah. No, you are not washing my feet. He's kind of taking a stand in his mind for the right reason. And Jesus just patiently says to him, as he often does to Simon Peter, as Peter's never found an occasion where he couldn't put his foot in his mouth, his dirty foot, it seems. <laughs> You'll never wash my feet. Jesus answered him and said, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter said to him, in the typical Peter fashion, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. In other words, Peter, when Peter got set straight, he dove in head first. 
Jesus said to him, the one who's been, who, who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he's completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that's why he said not all of you are clean. What is this thing? Because he goes on in just a few verses and tells them, I want you now to do this to one another. Is he talking about getting the basin out and kind of in our church services, kind of remembering him by washing each other's feet? I don't think so. I think this is something very practical. When he made the statement to Peter, he said, when a person is bathed, they're clean, but their feet will get dirty. That's why it was a custom to wash the feet or to have the feet. It was a very practical thing. You know, they didn't have concrete. They didn't go from the concrete driveway to their car to the concrete parking lot walking up. They walked in dirt and dust, and they would have bathed. They could be ready for an event, but their feet would be dirty. So it was a common thing to have something available to wash the feet. And he takes this idea of cleansing, the one who's already clean. What's he talking about? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. In other words, he's already made us clean. This this is about salvation. This is about the core of our hearts. We are clean in Jesus when we accept him. We accept his death on the cross as the atoning sacrifice, the payment for our sins, the just penalty paid for us. We are made clean. The scripture says you're a new creation. But what's he talking about? But you're clean when you've been bathed except for your feet. And let's take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro of River City Community Church in a message called Following to Serve. If you'd like to hear the full message or even watch the video podcast from Pastor Sean, it's available right now on demand on the sermon page at the River City website, reallife.org. And if you'd like to check out River City Community Church, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean. Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. I talk to a lot of people, and many seem to feel like they're settling for a whole lot less. Hi, I'm Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church, and we are so convinced that we were made for something better. We call ourselves a church for real life. I'd like to invite you to join us for one of our weekend gatherings, which are an exciting and artistic blend of music, reflection, and practical insights, all designed to explore the life that God meant for us. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church. And back to the message, Following to Serve, this is Real Life Radio. In Matthew chapter 10, there's an interesting passage that I think sheds some light. You remember, Jesus sends his disciples out to minister. And he says, don't take a purse, don't take a bag, don't take extra clothes. He says, when you go into a town and you serve them by bringing the gospel and by ministering to that town, receive your keep from that town. So stay wherever you Land when you're there. And he actually says this in verse 12. He says, as you enter the house, greet it. Bring a greeting. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. Very powerful scripture. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. Do you know we have the ability as followers of Jesus Christ to bring peace into situations? We, we can bring this covering of peace by the very nature of what God has done in his presence and his spirit with us. 
And he says, but if they're not worthy, what does that mean? If they're not receptive, then let your peace return to you. In other words, don't let anyone steal your peace. But he goes on. Let your peace return to you. Verse 14, and if anyone does not receive you or listen to your words, listen, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Shake off the dust. They reject you. Shake the dust off your feet. Don't let it accumulate. Don't let it build up. You see, when he talks about shaking the dust off your feet, there's not some magic in kind of making sure no dust from that town ends up in the crevices of your shoes. He's talking about the dirt of what happened there. The dirt of the world. That's what he means, I think, back in John 13. The dirt of the world. He's talking to the disciples about rejection. When they reject you, don't let that dirt build up and gather. The offenses, the hurts, failures, sin. What Jesus is saying is you've been cleansed because of your salvation in him, because of his righteousness for us. But we still walk through life and people will say hurtful things and people will do hurtful things. And all of a sudden, if we're not careful, we can be like, you know, when you got all that Texas clay that in, in certain places and it's been muddy and you go walk through it. I've got a lot of that out in the uh, field by my house. And if I walk across that field, it's like all of a sudden I'm three inches taller because I'm walking on a bed of mud. He's saying, don't let that accumulate. Shake the dust off your feet. And I want to suggest to you what he's saying to us about washing one another's feet is that we have the opportunity to help wash the dirt of the world that can accumulate, if we're not careful, off of one another. We can be a place of healing so that the rejection that's going to happen in a world that has fallen with sinful people, the unforgiveness, the, the sin, the offenses, don't build up. And we don't get bitter. But this is to be a place of healing where we help wash that dirt off our feet as we gather and minister to the Lord but also to one another. Now, interesting, he goes on, verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments, important, and resumed his place. So he, he's done, puts on his outer garment, okay, and he resumes his place. He was the host, presumably the head of the table or the place of leadership or honor. He said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. In other words, I am your teacher, your Lord, your leader. He says, if I then, your Lord and teachers, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And I don't think he's talking about recreating that first century ritual. I think he's talking very practically. Wash the dirt of this world off of one another's feet with healing words, with acceptance, with love, with encouragement. Loving one another, serving one another. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example, and that you should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant, listen, is not greater than his master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. By the way, that alone is worth the price of admission right there, verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. There's no real blessing in knowledge. Knowledge can accumulate. You can know everything. If you don't do anything about it, it doesn't help. 
If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them, said Jesus. What things? If you serve one another, if you help fulfill God's purpose in each other's lives by serving one another. Notice the emphasis he says on doing and following his example. He's saying, I served first, said Jesus. I showed you what it looked like. And now if you're going to follow me, I want you to follow in this example. And here's what I want you to remember. Please, this morning, write this down, because I want you to take this. I want you to chew on this a little bit. In your community groups, I want you to chew on it. And it's this. If you're not serving, you're not following Jesus. If you're not serving, you're not following Jesus. And you might be like, wow, that's kind of a harsh statement. Who are you to say whether I'm following Jesus or not? I'm telling you, Jesus came to serve. He modeled that, the life of a servant. He actually sat and served them and said, I want you to do this to one another. We're going to follow Jesus, I want to promise you. It is a, it is a calling. We are called to a life of service. First to him, but also to one another. We understand the most important thing in the Christian faith is love, right? Love God. It's all about relationships. Love God. And then love one another. Most first important, most important commandment and the second. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. One of the ways that love manifests itself, Jesus says, is in serving one another. A couple points that I think will help kind of bring light to this. First, Jesus modeled and commanded submission to a life of service. Jesus modeled and commanded submission to a life of service. It's what he said it's all about. In Matthew 20, there's an interesting uh, passage because <laughs> the disciples are kind of get this, in this little argument and tiff about places of honor in the kingdom. And it was all initiated by James and John's mom. Okay? Leave it to, you know, someone's mom. They go to Jesus, you know. She goes to Jesus because, of course, she's a good Jewish mother and she's just trying to make good for her boys. You know, Jesus, can my son sit on your right and your left when you come into your kingdom? And, you know, Jesus, what's he going to do? He doesn't rebuke her. Okay? He kind of, he kind of, he, if, if anything, he passes the buck to the Father. He says, those aren't for me to give. Those are for the Father, okay? Those are for, those are for the Father to give. He says, um, yeah, those aren't for me to give. But the other disciples here, and they start getting ticked, like, oh, who, who are they? Who did they think? Oh, my gosh, they probably put their mom up to it. And Jesus can't say no to a mom. You know, what do you do? Someone's mom comes. You're polite, you know? Well, so they, they get in this kind of little thing, and Jesus speaks to them. Matthew 20, beginning at verse 25. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man himself. He's talking about himself, Jesus. Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are called to serve. Our example is one of service. Jesus modeled the life of service. There's such a maturity in the humility of service. You, you want to know, when you see someone in the body of Christ, you see someone walking, you go, man, you know, they're just a, they're a, a humble person. You know, they just, they're, they're a humble person. That's a sign of maturity. That's a high level. That's grad school level maturity in the kingdom of God. And understand something. Jesus was unashamedly the leader. Service did not mean doing what everybody else wants. He led them. He commanded them. He directed them, but always for the purpose of serving. And he, he served. He washed their feet. He gave his life. See, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we are saved into a life of service. 
Every believer is given a new assignment and an identity as first a servant of the Lord. When you become a follower of Jesus, you become a servant of the Lord. In the old life, it was all about me. I did what I wanted. That's why some people can't get their brains around this redemption through Jesus Christ. Because it's like, I want to continue to do it my own way. I want to be the number one in my life. I want to make all the decisions. I want to be Lord. I don't want another Lord. That's not how it works. The whole idea of our salvation is not only does he forgive the sins of our past, he comes into our life as Lord and leader by his Holy Spirit and leads us into a different kind of future. Thank you, Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Real Life Radio in this message called Following to Serve. But if you'd like to hear the full message and this series, it's available right now when you find the sermons link at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road. You can see the details, directions, and service times also at reallife.org. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. And we hope you join us again next time for more Real Life. Do you ever look at your life and feel like you were made for something more? Jesus made a simple statement. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you abundant life, real life. I talk to a lot of people, and many seem to feel like they're settling for a whole lot less. Hi, I'm Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church, and we are so convinced that we were made for something better. We call ourselves a church for real life. I'd like to invite you to join us for one of our weekend gatherings, which are an exciting and artistic blend of music, reflection, and practical insights, all designed to explore the life that God meant for us. River City is located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Otama Park. Service times are Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. River City is a church for real life, so our home on the web is reallife.org. To find out more, visit us online at reallife.org. God created you for something very special. Come find out more at River City Community Church.